We're getting down to the home stretch of the WNBA regular season, and it's a very intriguing Friday night slate. The one and only M. Adler is joining us here to preview this Friday night action and the rest of the season. It's the Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast. Let's go. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Yes, every day. Welcome. You are listening to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm Alex Simon, taking a little pinch hit duty here on a Friday for our esteemed normal host and supreme overlord, Howard Megdal, over at the next. I'm an editor on the sports desk at Bay Area News Group and have done a variety of things here at the next before. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember that the Locked On Women's Basketball podcast is free and available on all platforms that you get podcasts. And there's video of this every day on YouTube that we record. We're joined by M. Adler from The Next, who covers the Seattle Storm, has a weekly column, maybe bi-weekly, I don't know, an irregular column, kind of looking at basketball and big thoughts, the daily brief. M., what don't you do at The Next? Uh, Right now, copy edit. Ah, okay. Well, right now. For now, we'll see what happens going forward. But one thing M does do is keep an eye on basically everything that happens in the entire WNBA. And boy, as we kind of get to the home stretch here, we're going to have a little bit of a break early next week to let the Commissioner's Cup play on Tuesday night in Chicago with the Aces in the Sky. But it makes this weekend, and especially this Friday night, have such a fascinating slate of games. We're starting with two games at Five o'clock on God's time out here on the West Coast, eight o'clock Eastern. Uh, I see the eye roll there. I should remind you that this is a visual podcast, clearly. So we should let people know how podcasting you're is a visual medium. Yes. Shout out to our friends at the Shutdown Fullcast. You remind us of this all the time. But we start with the Connecticut Sun heading to Minnesota to take on the Lynx at the same time the Dallas Wings are taking on the league leading Chicago Sky. But the game I really want to talk to you about first as a former Mercury beat writer myself, you as a Storm beat writer, and just for the sake of so many overlapping storylines, the Seattle Storm and the Phoenix Mercury face off for the final time this regular season. And there's so much to get into with this matchup, isn't there? Yeah, it's funny. There's a lot of overlapping storylines. One of them is uh, Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi possibly starting to play their, uh, th- this might be their last, sorry, this is their last game against each other. This might be each's last game against the other team ever, um, depending on what Tarasi does at the end of the season. But other than that, none of the other storylines really tend to overlap. You've got, uh, I know, I know, I know. Hold You've on. Got, I, I know. You've got two teams heading in extremely opposite directions. Um, Seattle is heading towards the top of the league if they, if, if they can manage it. They just took what was essentially a one-possession loss to the Chicago Sky. Uh, just a completely Chicago Sky, we should make note, which I'll come back to later in this podcast. Yes, but Seattle was missing a big piece themselves when they beat a Courtney Vandersloot full Sky a couple months ago. So I think it's even at this point. Fair. There is, however, one important storyline that probably doesn't matter for the rest of anyone's career, but will very much matter tonight. That would be Tina Charles's return to Phoenix, the team that she uh, left on 
a what the WNBA loves to call contract divorces, what really are just buyouts, but truly left in a way that clearly there was a lot of animosity from all parties. And this will be the first matchup between these two since that breakup happened. And I feel as if that there, there's going to be a little extra eyeballs, not just on the fact that this is a Sue Diana matchup, but because of this reunion, if you will, with Tina and her now former team. Yeah, we're going to pretend that I didn't completely forget about her existence when I started talking about the overlapping storylines. And you're forgetting um, about one more that I'll touch on in a second, too. I but, I am, and I look forward to uh, it. Is it Brian January's return to Phoenix? Her, That's genuinely my guess. Her, her final season, by the way, her return to Phoenix, where she played college ball as well as pro ball. So for Brian uh-huh. January, this is, I mean, this is even a bigger homecoming for her than it is for Sue Bird. And I would at least anticipate, hope, expect, and be shocked if the Phoenix Mercury are somehow giving Sue more flowers than they are giving Brian in any pregame ceremony they do. But it, there's that that's why there's just so many different things. And I'm sure our fine Phoenix Mercury reported Hayden Silly, who will be there Friday night, is gonna have it all taken care of and kind of weave everybody into it. But you just look at Brian it. Brian January, like, yes. Brian January, one of the many wings and guards that that the Mercury have shipped off despite or at the exact wrong time and lost production from over the years. Well, and she especially is a player who kind of came into Phoenix for a couple of seasons there, but I wouldn't necessarily say that her best years happened in Phoenix. You could obviously point out that she won a title with Indiana back in 2012. She's kind of bounced around to a few places. I mean, she was in Indiana from 09 to 17 before she came to Phoenix. But Howard Howard describes, I think, her 11th season as Chris Paul-esque. I think that's just not unfair. I think that would be the 12 season because in the, the 11 in 2000. Once you average like five assistants. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you mean. Even though it was only 10 games. Anyways, she is somebody who matters a lot to the Arizona fan base, uh-huh. both for her college days and for her pro days, playing a couple of seasons of Phoenix. She was on the team that I argue is the greatest WNBA series we've ever had, maybe until this recent one with the 2018 Storm Mercury series that went five games and had all sorts of fun and drama with, which will become a big part of the Sue Diana moment of Friday night. And then you throw this little bit of extra spice with the Tina element. There's just so much, but, but it matters for basketball too, as you're kind of pointing out, Seattle is a team that kind of needs a win to not maybe fall into the rut of being in that four or five matchup. Yeah. In many ways, this is like when you go home or not when you go home, this is in many ways when, you know, a decade, two decades after you graduate high school, you go home for your for your high school reunion. You've and and if you're Seattle, you're you're doing well in life. You moved out. You moved to the big city. You've got a wonderful family going on. You meet up with your old friends, some of whom are just sort of like hanging out in the town, reliving their glory days every day for the past twenty years. That's Phoenix. That's where Phoenix is right now. You still like hanging out with them. You have good times. Look, there's many retirees. It's good for night. Phoenix is a great hotbed for retirees. <laughs> They're, they've been Ma- living there for decades. Many of them appear to be appear to be retired, despite still being on the basketball court. Well, I think you're talking about one in particular, but yeah, Phoenix sure. certainly has found. I, I mean, it's it's tough to say this, but like they've at least turned a slight corner since the moment that they decided to divorce with Tina Charles. They're above 500. I mean, this was a team that was six and 12 at the halfway point, and looking like they might be going to being the worst team in the WNBA. At one point, they even had a worse record than the Indiana Fever mm. in that first half of the season. Now, they've turned the corner. They are 5-4. and four. 
Now that's not great, but in the WNBA, okay, in the playoffs, that could, if you continue to play a little above 500 down the stretch, it could get you into the playoffs in the WNBA. Yeah, and there's good basketball reasons behind why Phoenix turned it around. For instance, for the first time in Brianna Turner's career, they're not playing multiple centers in their starting lineup, which uh, if you know anything about basketball, you don't want to play multiple centers in your starting lineup. Despite this, you know, that fact hasn't stopped several WNBA teams from doing it every year over the years. Um, There are, you could argue, four teams doing it this year, at least. Phoenix is no longer one of them because they started Brianna noted friends of at least friends of the daily briefing, uh, Peter Kilkelly of five Out basketball and uh, Stephen Trinkwald of the double down WNBA podcast have been agitating for Turner to get minutes just at the five by herself for years now. And to say it's paid off would be an understatement. You have someone yeah. who's an, you have someone who's an elite lob threat an elite pick and roll uh, roller, someone who gets the ball between stations very well. And you're surrounding her with players who, can kind of shoot or can kind of drive. And all of them can kind of do that. And the, the one thing I would be concerned about, a lot of this right now is relying on the fact that Sophie Cunningham is shooting somewhere in the area of 60% from three since this change. She's probably a really good shooter. Her past couple of years are significantly closer to what kind of a shooter she is than her first three years. Um, and we can talk about the contract session that came with that later, but she's probably not this good of a shooter forever well and by this good even for the season she's up near 40 percent, which is a number that if you're relying on a player to hit 40 percent, that's a very tricky thing that only the elite of the elite do and look credit to her she's been able to be near there for the whole season let alone above there in this recent run but to to rely on it to count on it to depend on it is a very dangerous game to play and I think that is something that Phoenix has to be wary of as they go, but it's not like they have many other options. Speaking of though, you know what you always have an option for and when you get a little hungry and when you're really feeling like you got some time that you need to think about, I want to figure out what exactly I do in this matchup that is so intriguing. Well, that's where bet online comes in because today's episode is brought to you by bet online and bet online has you covered this season with more props than ever they've got more odds they've got lines do you m happen to know what the line is for tonight's game between phoenix and seattle off the top of your head i don't know but i'm gonna guess that it's gonna it's got to be somewhere around 14 points right well if you as a phoenix fan think m giving 14 points to seattle is ridiculous and you would want to help i was i was thinking the wrong game no you're fine there's games that you could get 14 but look Bet online will allow you to see, is this a thing that I'm not comfortable with? Do I believe that the Seattle Storm are going to be making their way through the WNBA and winning a championship this season? If you go to betonline.net, you can place all bets on the WNBA. They've had lines all season. They've got features. Bet online where the game starts. And when you think about futures in that regard, M, you can look and see – It feels to me, as we kind of look, Seattle is at a point where they've been in what you would call kind of the top five of teams. But this last game they played against Chicago has me wondering, is Chicago maybe just that much little bit better than the other four that we maybe shouldn't consider them a single tier of five, but maybe Chicago with its depth, with its high quality, with kind of its moldability and adaptability, are they maybe that tiny bit better 
than Vegas, Seattle, Connecticut, and Washington? <clears throat> yes. Uh, <laughs> look, they were the overwhelming favorite in our midseason in our midseason predictions. They were our overwhelming favorite to win the title. They are the only team to have secured a spot in the playoffs right now. They are they and the Mystics are standouts among that clear top five tier of teams because neither of them really play anyone on the roster regularly more than 30 minutes um, except one of them is you know four games ahead of the other one while also not doing that Chicago right now they've got a pretty average schedule lined up I'm actually wrong I just checked they actually have um, I think the second easiest schedule in the WNBA remaining this season there is no reason we shouldn't expect Wintrust to be hosting uh, every series of the playoffs that this guy are, are alive for. They can play in really any way they need to. They're one of the most adaptable. They are the most adaptable team in the league. They have the firepower to beat you in any way that you they want. And they have the personnel to beat any team to stop anyone short of, I would say, probably Kelsey Plum. I think that's and the only person they don't have a matchup for. And James K., our Chicago Sky beat reporter at the next, has written actually, literally, the headline says, The Chicago Sky have found ways to win in multitudes of ways. So, this is a team that is probably the most prideful about the fact that they're flexible, that they don't need to depend on teams. It, it's an egoless team in that regard. You have to be willing to be a superstar that some nights only scores six points in that regard if you're going to help create a quality of depth in that regard and a quality of quantity, even if you will, that Chicago has where, yeah, it's probably pretty nice to know for as much as I can be a superstar, if I'm Candace Parker or Clea Copper or Courtney Vandersloot or Emma Meesman or go on and go on and go on. If I can only, if I can have an off night, only score six points and we still win anyway, that's gotta be a pretty good feeling as a player on a team that deep. And even if you can argue Maybe they they take their foot off the gas for a game or two in this stretch. You know, they do have a back-to-back coming up this weekend after they play against Dallas tonight on Friday. They then immediately fly and play the Liberty in New York on Saturday. Ugh. You can head to their schedule. Yeah, they have, they have some games where maybe you look and you say, hey, you know, if they decide to rest people to get them ready for the playoff run, you could see it. They play games all, you know, they have three games a week for the last two weeks of the season. So maybe you take one game of those weeks off, but there's, there's a two game gap. Everybody else still plays each other once or twice, at least if not more from that one through five group, it seems pretty hard to, to me to picture Chicago losing three or four times, even, even if they lose four times and finish at 10 losses, everybody else then has to only lose once or twice. And that's hard to, to fathom, frankly. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at the standings, usually in the WNBA, because of the playoff structure, seeding doesn't matter really at all, other than what buy are you getting. But it does this year. And this was an underrated part of the change going from the... From when seeding mattered literally at every single point of the standings to what would otherwise be in a one through eight, where eh, it doesn't really matter, just get into the playoffs and figure it out. Well, that's the opposite of what I'm saying. In terms of the... Yeah, well, well, in terms of the buy, every other every other seed mattered. It mattered if you if it mattered if you were oh, you're uh, saying a single power one multiple of two. two line in particular. Yes, the one versus two, two line didn't matter that much. Two, it was the three versus four didn't matter that much. Three. The eight, and on and on. 
And that was a sort of underrated thing about what we have this year is now you get into the sort of uh, the sort of machinations that come with trying to figure out exactly how you want to set up your bracket. Because this is the thing that's been around in the men's NBA long enough that a few years ago you had literally Denver losing games on purpose to make sure that they were able to avoid a team that was, you could say, underseeded um, and not have to play them. But when you look at this bracket, you you look and you think, you know, if there's a top tier of five teams, and they're all, and it, you know, to varying degrees, they're bunched together, and then there's a massive drop off to six, and they're pretty bunched together, similar after that. It doesn't really matter where you end up, just so long as you're in the top three. I was going to say that if you are the three to four line, where if you're in that four five matchup and you're having to take on one of those top tier teams in the first round, let alone potentially again in the second as the semis, then in the finals, that's a really tough gauntlet that makes it really hard. And if you're the one seed that does have that little extra benefit of these two teams will maybe have to play a three game series. It'll be a heavyweight fight between those teams. We can catch them and maybe try to immediately jump out to a two Oh lead and just have to go finish it off on the road. So for that point, you know, that three, four line. And right now, as we sit here, we're recording this Thursday afternoon. I think even if we take the assumption that the aces will beat the fever in a game that happens after we record this Thursday night, but I think that's a safe assumption. The aces are a game and a half behind Chicago, but they're a game and a half up on Connecticut and Seattle who are tied at the three, four line and Washington is one more game behind them at the five seed. So from three to four to five, there's only a game separating Connecticut, Seattle, and Washington total between those teams. So you look at that seed line and there's plenty of changes that can still happen. The schedules are kind of lined up where they're all going to get tested. And I mean, there's still matchups between each team. Connecticut still plays Seattle once. I believe Washington still has two home games against Seattle. So you can back to back. Correct. And the aces still have to go play at the mystics at Seattle. They host the sky, they host the storm. All these teams are going to play each other at least one, if not two games against the other top teams where it'll one be a litmus test, but it can help really change how that top seed looks where, you know, if you, if you're stuck in the four or five, it's really tough to picture you winning a championship out of the four or five matchup just by and having one extra high quality opponent. Uh-huh. And I could be wrong, but looking at this, the the combination of different series in terms of season series between these teams to, to, to decide tiebreakers, it comes down to, I think it's like five factorial. It's been a little while since, since I've majored in math. But, this is going to be all you. I'm not going to help here. <laughs> no, what I'm going to ask was, do you know off the top, it could be off the top of my head, just, or it could take 10 seconds just to look at the standings. Do you recall how many of these season series have already been decided? Uh, I think very few. I think what Chicago hasn't even finished up against Seattle yet because they still face each other one more time. So they've already finished. They play. They play again, but 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 Chicago already has a season series win. They're two out. Oh no, you're right. I'm I'm dumb. That's split. No, no, that one's split. Chicago though has the series against the Sun. Okay. They have the one against Sun. I believe they still have to play the Aces. I I believe they still have to play the Mystics. The, the well, Mystics and the, the, I play the Aces in a game that doesn't matter at all for the WNBA standings, but the commissioner's exactly. has the money on the line too. So hey, we can throw that one in there too. But the Mystic Storm season series still has to be decided. The Sun had the series over the Storm, though. The Aces Storm series still needs to be decided. There's a lot of tiebreakers here that haven't remotely been decided yet, and will come down to the last two weeks of the season. I believe 
maybe the sun have it over the mystics already, but I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. You can check that for me uh, if you have it anywhere handy, but I don't at the moment, but yeah, the point being within all of these teams, you know, if, if you're an entropy fan, there is an absolutely lovely chaos scenario where like the seeds two through five all end up at like the same record of like 24 and 12. And that can just create a delightful tie breaking mess toward the end of the season there. Um, yes. But, it, but that's kind of the joy of it. I think Vegas might be able because of the fact that they still have three games against the fever. And actually they play those three games here in the next 10 days. Uh, if you're Vegas and you take care of the business that you should against the worst team in the WNBA, that should allow you to maybe create that little separation and make the two line pretty clear. But definitely it feels like three, four, five could come down to the final day of the season. But the problem maybe, with the aces is looking beyond those three games. They have the hardest schedule remaining of any of these teams. And they also have maybe looked the worst out of those five teams at the top recently in terms of how porous the defense has been. Uh, and they really, you know, they only beat the Sun because it was the first day that John Cole Jones was not available on her health and safety protocol break. But they were allowing 100 points to the Liberty a couple of times in a row, 100 points to the Lynx, 92 to the Stream earlier this week in their loss. You can kind of see a lot the defensive of rotations just have not been there. And you see teams getting open threes. You see teams getting easy pass the bucket. Look, Asia's got a lot of highlight blocks, and I'm here for it. But the reason she has a lot of highlight blocks is because they're letting a lot of people run right to the cup. And so we're going to look ahead here to the rest of that schedule. Obviously, we understand Indiana is kind of well out of the playoff range. In theory, there is a way, I believe, for them to somehow still be able to sneak their way into the playoffs. But I think it would be considered unlikely at best right now. They would have, you know, the most if they won all eight games they had left, that would be 13 and 23, which at least gives them a chance still. But they are close to being officially eliminated from the playoff bracket. But it's it's not hard to conceptualize that the other six teams from the six seed to the 11 seed right now, Los Angeles currently sitting at 12 and 14, Atlanta at 12 and 15, Dallas at 11 and 14, Phoenix 11 and 16, Minnesota 10 and 17, New York 9 and 17. For as much as New York has the worst record of them, they also have the schedule that gives them the best shot to really make some noise down the stretch. By far. By far. I believe New York plays Chicago twice, first this Saturday, then the following Friday. And then their last eight games of the season are all against other teams that they are directly competing with for those last three playoff spots. Uh Mercury, two against the Sparks. Mercury, again, two against the Wings, two against the Dream. If you get hot at the right time, if you're New York, not only are you winning games that you need to win, but then you're handing losses to teams that you need to lose, you're going to probably have to go – maybe as much as seven and one, but at least six and two during that stretch, especially if you can't, you know, seven and one might have to be the case if you can't pull off a win over Chicago here, but you definitely have to be thinking six and two, seven and one, maybe even eight and no, but it's certainly possible because when they've looked good, they've looked capable of that. Yeah. I mean, even when they haven't looked good, there have been great teams that they've lost to by a couple of points, but unfortunately this is basketball. This is neither horseshoes nor, nor hand grenades and almost doesn't count. Certainly. Um, when when you look at these teams and you've kind of got the schedule strength and kind of measuring that in front of you, which team do you feel as if has the toughest road ahead out of those six? Look, I don't want to say it. You don't want to say it. Most of our listeners don't want to hear it. But the answer is the Lynx. The Lynx, 
have of all of these teams, the Lynx have by a decent margin. I shouldn't say decent margin, but by a margin, they've played the easiest schedule of all of them. I mean, we saw them in the beginning of the season. They weren't playing the toughest schedules, and they were really losing bad. And they've looked better as of late, not the past couple games, but otherwise they'd look better. And it just, it, it, it honestly might be too little too late. They're a team that I want to see keep going. They're a team that obviously everyone wants to see still keep going. Nafisa Collier wants people to come back and play playoffs games and still be a foul as possible. But at this point, they're a game and a half back of a playoff spot, I think. And uh, no, it's actually worse than that. They're, they, they are two and a half games back of a playoff spot. And they have the toughest schedule of any of these teams remaining. On top of that, they, the, the thing that makes it tough, they still have all three games left against Connecticut. And they have two games left against Seattle. Now, this is a team that earlier this month did beat the Aces by 31 and beat the Sky at home and have had some big wins. But this last game where they only scored 57 points against Washington in a loss kind of showed you that maybe for as much as they've started to think about and figure out their defense, now their offense is having a few issues that if you have offensive issues, Connecticut is not the team you want to be running into for two straight games, which is exactly what's happening to them this weekend. Um, If we kind of get close to the end here, is there a team that you think maybe needs, what team needs to be in the playoffs the most desperately of any of these six? You see, that's a wonderful question because you can chalk it up. You can chalk it up in so many different ways. You can say the Sparks need to get in the playoffs because they have a lot of people on one-year contracts and they have, and they don't own their own first first round pick, which isn't unique to them in this group, funny enough, but they don't own their own first round pick. And they have a lot of, let's say, bragging rights on the line that they would be very uncomfortable losing if they don't make the playoffs. You could say the same thing about the Phoenix Mercury, who also don't own their own first round pick. And they not only would lose a lot of bragging rights, but they would, it, it would be a complete failure for a total, for a total, it would be a complete failure of the proof of concept for an, an entire organization that has sort of fostered what we're seeing today. Hell, you could say the same thing for the Wings, too, who, if they keep not missing the playoffs, then what direction are they even going in? And it kind of, in what could be a WNBA offseason of upheaval for even non-competitive basketball reasons, just people retiring, people to the end of a contract, all of that stuff we know is coming. But then it's the stuff that kind of the on-court play dictates changes made. We've already seen the change made in LA. We've already seen Indiana let go of their coach. Could there even be changes at the general manager level that come if teams don't continue to make the postseason? I think that is a real possibility that a lot of GMs probably are feeling some pressure about across the league. Again, we already have unless you have a stake, unless you have a significant stake in ownership, in which case you probably feel secure until you die. But two teams have current interim general managers, and it wouldn't shock me necessarily if we at least saw one or two more change at that level, let alone at the coaching level, let alone at the main roster level. And that kind of adds for as much as the top is where we're going to see the best quality basketball, maybe the, the most fascinating and the most interesting is in that fight for six through eight, because there, there is a lot of, there is a lot of WNBA lives that are going to get impacted by that. And it, that's where my intrigue always goes is who's, who's playing with desperation, who's playing, knowing what the consequences, if you aren't able to be successful. Uh, there is a thing I do for the daily briefing during college season, which I don't do during the WNBA because we just don't have enough games 
to warrant this level of categorizing games. There's a thing I do called the Sickos Game of the Day. And boy, we have a lot of Sickos games lined up for the end of the season, and I'm going to enjoy all of that slop. Well, and, and I've mentioned this actually a couple of times in various places, but perhaps there is no more Sickos game than the one that will be a national broadcast on ABC on the final day of the regular season when the Chicago Sky get a finals rematch in Phoenix against the Mercury while the Sky are holding Phoenix's first-round pick for next season's draft. So there is a strong possibility that the Chicago Sky could guarantee that their pick is a lottery pick and give them a shot at Aaliyah Boston or Haley Jones or whoever next season by beating the Mercury on that final day of the regular season. And that is the type of thing I live for, and I think you do too, Em. You know, I don't call that a sickos game so much as I just call that child abuse. Oh, gosh. All right, last thing before we go. If you had to make a prediction right now with three weeks left as to the three that make it at the bottom six for that six through eight seed out of these six teams competing, who are the three you're taking? I'm going to hedge slightly because we saw with a couple minutes I would left in the... nothing less, by the way. Aw. Well, we saw... We saw towards the end of today's afternoon game, uh, where the Sparks and the Dream played, we saw Tip Hayes need to be helped off the court into the locker room after. I haven't seen an update on her injury. It was clearly, it was clearly lower leg um, in the that. If it's, if it's significant, then I would, I, I would pencil them out, and I'd probably go with the Sparks, Wings, and the Dream. If not, if, she, if she's fine tomorrow, I might trade out the Wings for the Dream. Which would mean you have, no matter what, you have the Mercury and the Lynx missing the playoffs as it currently stands. Unfortunately, I do have the Lynx missing the playoffs. And yes, I also have Chicago with a lottery pick, that, <laughs> which, which, which many of my friends will be delighted about. And I was going to say, and you're not capping that with unfortunately either. So I don't think you would find that unfortunate. But I guess that's what happens when you create your own lot in life by trading a pick. I have written enough daily briefings about what I think about the Phoenix situation. And you guys should go check that out. And where can M, people go check out what you write in the daily briefing at the next? Where can people see your extremely unhinged thoughts on social media? If you're looking for the least amount of hinged, uh, look for me at either deep nighttime or the middle of the workday on Twitter. That's at M underscore Adler. Uh, you can find me at the next writing on a somewhat daily basis uh, where my thoughts thankfully are mostly hinged. Thanks to my editors. Um, and you can catch me on these podcasts. You can catch me wherever uh, other podcasts I'm jumping into. And Alex, where can the people find you? Uh, you can find me at Bay Area News Group, the San Jose Mercury News and the East Bay Times, or at, at Alex Simon Sports on Twitter. Thank you all for joining. It is going to be an immensely exciting and entertaining final three weeks of the WNBA regular season. And we hope you guys are as excited about it as we are.